We are Plum Creek, and we're a place where you matter. Our mission here is centered around change lives, changing lives. We believe this happens through three relationships, intimacy with God, intentionality with family, and influence with others. We hope what you hear today will impact and challenge you to love God and the people around you in a whole new way. We'd encourage you to connect with us online at PlumCreekOnline.com or on social media to see how Plum Creek is impacting our community and what opportunities we have for you and your family to get connected. If you'd like to support the ministry we're doing here in Castle Rock, the two easiest ways are through the Give tab on our website or via your mobile device by texting your dollar amount to the number on the screen. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you'll enjoy this message. Miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. Good morning, everyone. How are you? I need to know who ordered the weather, right? Because you're freaking me out a little bit, right? We're all kind of just, just like hesitating because there's like four feet of snow somewhere on its way to Castle Rock, right? It's just too nice. If you have your Bibles or uh, your smartphones, please turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we're going to start a new series today called Wonder. And in John chapter 2, we have the record of Jesus' first miracle. And I want to read it to you today. If you have your Bibles or your smartphones, follow along. It won't be on the screen. Uh, So if you don't have that in front of you, just listen. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Verse 3, the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. I pause for a second to tell you if you know the, uh, the use of the Greek words involved here, that was actually a term of endearment. I did try and follow Jesus' lead this week, calling Beth that, and it didn't work. <clears throat> but his mother told, him, told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby, there were six stone jars used for Jewish ceremonial washings. Listen, I love the detail. Uh, each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best first, he said, and then when everyone has had a lot to drink, He brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time that Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Wow. Of all the things to have your miraculous come out party with, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? So we start this series today 
called Wonder. And we're going to take the next several weeks up and through Easter to look at several miracles, specifically from the book of John. And I would say that there is a reason why John chose those miracles to record over some of the others that he had seen. Why? Why Wonder? Why would we call this series Wonder? It's absolutely perfect. Listen to the definition of wonder, a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, something unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. But right now, I would venture to guess that there's probably a range of emotions knowing that we're going to be talking about some miracles. Some of you are going to be fired up because you like these stories You've heard them before, and you, you, you hear them, you read them, and you're like, gosh, that's just awesome. I love to hear about the stuff that Jesus did. Some of the rest of us that are here hear these stories, and automatically you have this radar that comes up when we talk about this. You've heard some of these stories before, but maybe you have a hard time wrapping your arms in your mind around the things that Jesus did, so you're just not sure. Hang with me. Because that's part of what this series is about. Before we head into this series too far, we need to identify a couple of obstacles that will prevent us or keep us from stepping into the miraculous. We need to talk about that. Pull your journey guide out. You might want to jot a few things down today that will help us as we kind of introduce this series and then look at this particular miracle. The first obstacle to the miraculous is skepticism. Skepticism, a little bit about what we just talked about. Because a miracle, by definition, is a violation of natural law, right? And so in our minds, in our hearts, like well-trained lawyers, we instinctively object to any kind of violation like that. Because miracles just aren't logical. And oftentimes, the things that we can't explain, uh, we explain away. As a result, you may not uh, even believe that any of this is possible. But let me just tell you today, there's a big difference between skepticism and discernment. You see, discernment is filtering what is false from what is true, and if you're good at that, I would strongly encourage you to use the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in your life to be able to discern what is true and what isn't. But skepticism, on the other hand, is a predisposition towards disbelief, perhaps a prejudice that's even kind of reared its ugly head in your life because of past experience. So the first obstacle to the miraculous is skepticism. The second one is disappointment. Residual disappointment. Maybe you've prayed for a miracle, but you felt like God didn't hear a word that you said. Let me just share with you today that I think each and every one of us could identify with that feeling at some time in our life. I can't explain why some prayers are answered when we ask and why some miracles happen and some miracles don't. I was praying through my notes this morning, just reminded of some of the circumstances that that we've even been part of here at our church with some of the stories that are part of your lives and the things that you and I both have gone through and prayers that we've prayed together for miracles to happen and Boy, wouldn't it be nice to know the formula for how do we make that work? Because it just doesn't always happen, does it? And sometimes that disappointment can bring us to a place where we even want to throw in the towel altogether. Kind of an unhealthy knee-jerk reaction. And we pull back on the reins of faith because we don't want to feel the sting of disappointment again. 
I need to tell you today that that's not a new problem. That's a problem that's been around for a very long time. That's even a problem that was part of Jesus' interaction with the people that he uh, was dealing with in the Gospels. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 9, a daddy brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus. And the interaction that he has with Jesus is kind of reflective of a lot of our experience. And I want to read it quickly with you. In Mark chapter 9, verse 22, this daddy brings his son to Jesus. And he says this, have mercy on us and help us. Look at the next words. If you can. Now watch Jesus. He's fired up now. He said, what do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. Now watch the, the author. I love the raw authenticity of this daddy here. The father instantly cries out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Have you ever been there? Oh, I've been there. We're like, I believe, but like, ah, help me. Help me because I want to pray this thing through and I want to know that I can count on you. But there's just this hesitancy because it doesn't always work out the way that we want it to work out. And that's all of us. We experience this tug of war between belief and unbelief. And that's why this series is so important. I'm praying that this series will draw you to Jesus. And that's precisely why John wrote in the end of his gospel related to these miracles. In John chapter 20, verse 30, the disciples saw Jesus, look at this, do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, which is why I think he was very strategic about the ones that he included and another reason why this series is important. Look at verse 31. But, those, but these are written, the ones that we're going to look at, so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. That's why these miracles are here. You see, I would contend today, you take away the miracles and the supernatural, and all we have is a good teacher. You see, we've got to have his power at play as well, not just in the stories we read, but more importantly, in the lives that we live, in the relationship that we have with him, we need the supernatural. And thank God he's a supernatural God. Now, one word of caution at the, at the outset. Now, this might seem counterintuitive, but we're doing a series on miracles. Listen to me. It's not really about the miracles. That's weird, isn't it? Because a series about the miracles can't just be about the miracles. Really what it needs to be about is the only one that can do the miracles. And so as we have been preparing this series and I've been praying over it, I'm praying that we will be people that don't seek miracles, but instead we seek Jesus. And by the way, do you know what happens when we seek Jesus? You're going to find yourself smack dab in the middle of some miracles. That's the way he works. Could you do me a favor? Raise your hand if you've ever experienced a miracle. Raise your hand. Some of you are like, um, okay. Obstacles to the miraculous. Skepticism, disappointment, number three, lack of faith. And here's a very interesting one to me, and here's my hunch. You may not know this, but I believe wholeheartedly that you take for granted and already believe in God for the big miracles, 
It's just really tough to trust them in the little ones. Let me explain. When was the last time you thanked God for keeping us in orbit? Did you do that this morning when you woke up? Like, whoo! Lord, I was really worried about that one. Wasn't sure we were going to make the full rotation, but whoo! Pulled it off again. Thanks, big guy. Right? You did not do that. I'm guessing you've never prayed that. Right now, it feels like you're sitting still, but we know that's just an illusion. The reality is that planet Earth is spinning on its axis at a speed of 1,040 miles per hour. Fasten your seatbelt, friends. To me, that's a miracle. And we take that for granted. At the same stinking time, we are also speeding through space at an average velocity of 67,108 miles per hour. That's 87 times faster than the speed of sound. Wow! We should be thanking God for the miraculous that we take for granted all the time. See, it's not the big stuff that we worry about. Truthfully, it's the little stuff. So even on your worst day, when you feel like you haven't done much, you need to remind yourself and anyone else that asks, it was a very productive day. I traveled 1,610,592 miles through space today, right? Productive day. If that isn't miraculous, I don't know what is. And here's the thing. That's what this series is also about. Miracles are around us all the time, and it seems like that's where we should start. And you know people, and I know people, that would say that they've never experienced a miracle. Well, let's just... Shift gears here for a second. Let's think about the unbelievable creation even that we have in our bodies. There are trillions of chemical reactions taking place in your body every second of every minute of every hour of every day. You're inhaling oxygen. We just sang about it, didn't we? It's your air that we breathe. You're managing equilibrium. You're manufacturing hormones. You're fighting antigens. You're filtering stimuli, mending tissue, purifying toxins, digesting food, and circulating blood, just to mention a few. Let's just hone in on the circulating blood one for just a second. Your heart is a pretty amazing thing. Today, your heart will beat about 100,000 times. It's going to pump six quarts of blood all throughout your body through about 60,000 miles of arteries, veins, and capillaries. If you laid those arteries, veins, and capillaries end-to-end, -end, they would circle the earth two and a half times. Have you ever experienced a miracle? You see, we, we take for granted the big stuff. It's just the little stuff that we have a hard time trusting him for. Albert Einstein said it this way, there are only two ways to live your life. One is as if nothing is a miracle, the other is as if everything is a miracle. So let's just jump back into this first one. As we read this story, Jesus kicks off his miraculous career. Are you ready for this? By transforming H2O into Merlot. How about that, right? I wish I made that up by myself. I read it in a blog. That was awesome. <clears throat> He literally transformed multiple gallons of water 
into choice wine, and please write this down, it wasn't box wine. This is the good stuff, guys. Be pretty cool to have a sip of this. Pretty amazing the way Jesus did this. So let's take a little closer look at how this goes down. Look at verse 1. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The village of Cana was a little town, a little village. Probably just a few dozen people lived there, nine miles north of the city where Jesus was born. Because of the close proximity there, it's highly likely that Jesus and his family knew people that lived in Cana, and there was just kind of this uh, welcomed kind of involvement um, in these two communities. And so this individual, whoever it was that was having the wedding, <clears throat> somehow knew of Jesus and his family. And so Jesus and his family and the disciples would have been invited to this wedding. And just like in our culture today, weddings were a really big deal. Actually, they would have been engaged now for over a year, this couple would have. And during that time, this young man would have been proving his worth to his father-in-law-to-be. He would have been building their home and kind of getting things set in order for their big wedding day and their life together. They wouldn't have been living together, but as far as their laws were concerned, they were already married. So the wedding then would be a celebration that would last three, to, three days to an entire week. And so if you got invited to this party, you literally had to take some time off. And that's where we pick up this story today. Look at verse 3. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Now I want to share with you some <clears throat> observations as we dig in to this uh, story. The first thing that I see here as I'm looking at this story, and someone needs to hear this today, a problem precedes a miracle. You need gravity, therefore we spin. You need oxygen, therefore the miracle of the heartbeat. A problem precedes a miracle. If they don't run out of wine, there's no need for a miracle. See, we all love miracles, and today I want you to just take a deep breath and have a just new, fresh perspective today about the situations and the circumstances that we're faced with. You see, we all love to see, experience, and hear about miracles. We just don't want the problems that precede them. I would even venture to say today that the bigger the problem, the greater the potential for a miracle. And some of you, listen, I know some of your stories that are here today. And you are facing some very difficult situations and circumstances. Of course, I don't know everyone's story, but I know many. And I need you today, as you're facing your challenge, to know that this can be the precursor to a miracle, and we need to have faith to trust and believe in him that way. A problem precedes a miracle. Another observation is that we need to take our problems to Jesus. You see, that's what Mary did. Look at verse 3. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Now, I don't know why Mary went to Jesus. I have some guesses. Uh, perhaps it was the angels that told her about the virgin birth, right? Maybe it was the virgin birth that let her know, this dude's legit, like he comes from someplace I don't fully understand. Um, but scriptures do, I, I would really like to think that Jesus was a very unique child. 
just playing games all the time with people because of his supernatural power. Like, somehow always came back and won at Monopoly. And you're like, dang it, just can't beat him, right? We like to think that he pulled off all kinds of crazy miracles with his brothers and his friends. And that when things came out of the carpentry shop, they're always perfectly straight, right? Didn't even have to use a level. Oh, I got it, Dad. I'll cut it. Just perfect, right? We like to think that those things happen. If you're like me, you think about that stuff. But we know that's not necessarily true, right? It's not true at all because scriptures tell us that this is the first time that he revealed his glory. But his mom knows something here. And as I was thinking about this, my question for you is this. Who's your go-to guy? Who is it that you go to when, when the crap hits the fan? I like to call mom. Sometimes I, I'll call my mentor. I'll, I'll get on the phone and call Beth in a hurry. And I've got to admit to you something today that more often than not, I'll turn to those people before I turn to my God. Who's our go-to guy? We've got to be paying attention like Mary did and realize where we need to turn. And so my, my challenge, part of my challenge for you this week is this. Be on the alert, will you? When you have needs in your life, take it to Jesus first. When you're aware of or become aware of someone else's circumstances or situations, will you, will you take them to Jesus first? If we really believe he is who he said he is, then he needs to be our go-to guy. Again, I'd like to tell you that I've got that so figured out that that's what happens every single time, uh, but that is absolutely not the truth. And I had the benefit this week of working on this sermon, so I was a little better this week than I have been in some. And uh, earlier in this week, Al came in my office, and he was looking for Pastor Stephen, and he said, hey, I need to cut out early. Can you please let Stephen know? Um, I'll be back to get my stuff done, but I need to take my wife to the doctor. And I was like, doctor? Who's the go-to guy? And so after he shared with me, I was like, and I wish I did this every time, but I'm working on this sermon, so it's fresh in my mind. I was like, hey, Al, hey, before you head out, can I pray with you? Let's take it to Jesus. And he was like, yes, great idea. I believe that this week, whether it's in your own life or someone else's life, and likely both, something is going to happen, and you're going to be reminded of what we talked about today. Will you be brave? Will you be bold? Don't, don't trick yourself on this one and say, you know, when I get back to my cube, I'm going to pray about that. Why don't you just say to the person that you're aware of the need in their life, hey, you know what? I'm not really sure where you're at in your faith journey, but I've got a go-to guy. I believe that my God is a powerful God. Would it be okay if I prayed for you right now about that and just watch their face? And let that be where you and I go first as well. A problem precedes a miracle. Um, we need to take our problems to Jesus, our go-to guy. And then number three, Jesus turns nothing into something. Jesus turns nothing into something. Look at verse six. This is where things begin to get very interesting to me. Um, standing nearby, were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washings. I love the detail again. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. 
When the jars had been filled, he said, Now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. And we read before what happens. They take this water that has been turned into wine to the master of ceremonies, and he is blown away by the quality of this Merlot. I love this story. So I've been doing some reading this week on and some of the details surrounding wine. Jesus literally changes the molecular structure of water, transforming it into the equivalent of somewhere around 757 bottles of wine. Hey, can I ask you, what have you run out of this week? In this season of your life, what do you feel like you've run out of? Maybe you've run out of endurance. Maybe it's hope. Maybe it's strength. Maybe it's patience. Maybe it's money or love, some resource. Hey, he turned nothing into something. And remember this, it was a legit something. He wants to do the same for you and me. Don't look for the exit before you look for an opportunity. God is setting you up. 757 bottles of fine wine, that's a vineyard. It takes 2.4 pounds of grapes on average to make one bottle of wine. 757? Do the math. That's almost a ton of grapes. Hundreds of chemical compounds in wine. It's almost like Jesus was saying, watch this. I have mastery at a molecular level. I'm going to take the most simple little thing and turn it into something awesome. I created it. I control it. I've got this. If we could somehow this week just get a real true picture of God's creative authority, I believe our faith would soar. Because, you know, sometimes God shows up and sometimes God shows off. And we like both. We need to have our faith soar. In three seconds, he did what should have taken three years. You see, we should be excited to pray and ask, leaving things in his hand because it's his call. It's his creation. He started with the most simple thing, water, and he turned it into something incredible. Since this was the case, something simple turned into something incredible, what can he do when he starts with something incredible? Like you, a masterpiece. What is it that he could do with us? A final observation that I have in this story is that Jesus doesn't just save the day. He makes the day. Watch what happens here. Before we get there, I again, I like to read between the lines and think about what must have happened. Some of the details that maybe we don't know. And I know that's just creative thinking. But I just have to imagine that somehow in my mind's eye, the groom was responsible for the beverage. This is an incredibly important day, isn't it? This is a day that you don't want to screw up. This is a day where you want it to be perfect. And I can just imagine when the master of the ceremonies comes to the head table and says to the bride and the groom, Nah, we're running out. Can you imagine the glare of the bride? 
Not a good situation here, is it? Jesus doesn't just save the day. He makes the day. And I think the way that we need to head into the conclusion of this story today and the miraculous is I think it would be appropriate if we took communion today. How about you? So we practice open communion at Plum Creek. It has nothing to do with member or membership. We don't even do that. It's about your personal relationship with Jesus. So if you have that, will you take the elements and you hold them uh, as they are passed around? And hang with me here. Look at verse 9. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. Look at verse 10. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. Jesus didn't just save the day. He made the day. Who saves the best for last? Jesus. That's what he does. He saves the best for last. I've told you before, I, I like to see the HD replay of this someday. I'm going to step up the game a little bit because technology has changed. I want 4K now. I want to see the 4K expression of the sheepish smile on the bridegroom's face. This day was supposed to be perfect. They had run out and Jesus didn't just help them save face. He helped him put his best foot forward. Jesus didn't just save the day. He made the day. Thank you. You need to hear me say this today and again. This is for someone. He can turn the worst days into the best days. And he always saves the best for last. You hold in your hand these communion elements and listen um, I know there's lots of ways and we talked about them earlier that we can approach our perspective as it relates to miracles but I need you to hear me say this today I've seen God do some pretty crazy stuff with my own eyes that doesn't mean that I get it right every time and that I believe him every single time and go to him every single time I worry about stuff just like you do, but I've seen him do crazy things. As a matter of fact, so many of the stories of our church are absolutely miraculous ways that God provided, that he stepped in and did stuff that still today, if you ever doubt God, let's go get a cup of coffee, because if you haven't heard the stories, you need to hear them. It will blow your mind. It still blows my mind. On my tough days, I go back in my journal, and I read like, Holy crap, he did it. I didn't think it was possible. And sometimes those stories just continue to grow over the years. Because it doesn't always make sense when you're in the middle of it. But then all of a sudden, God supernaturally moves and lays it on the hearts of Plum Creekers to pay for the water line. Remember? That thing should have cost us $850,000. We paid for materials and they did the rest. And then our dear sweet neighbors tapped into our water line and had to write us a check. It's awesome. Like, only God can pull that stuff off, guys. I've been overseas. I've seen God do amazing things. One day I watched teenagers with faith 
so big, believing that God could do anything. Lay hands on a man who had never spoken in his life. And I stood back and watched the faith of these teenagers. And God touched that man and he spoke. I've seen that same group of teenagers lay hands on a baby that was sick and see no change. It doesn't make sense. But God is God. I've had circumstances and situations where people from Plum Creek and other churches that I've uh, been able to serve at come up and ask for prayer only to have that same person literally chase me down at the grocery store to tell me what God had done. I had a lady come up before who was struggling with a recent, a brand new diagnosis of diabetes, so overwhelmed in her heart. And I said, listen, I don't get how this works. It's not magic, it's God. But all I know is he's told us to pray a prayer of faith. So let's join together and believe that God could do this. And we prayed together. And two weeks later, after she had gone back to the doctor, he told her her diabetes was gone. I've seen God do amazing things. And our faith needs to soar, believing that he wasn't just a good teacher. But he also has this supernatural power to defy natural order. And it's okay, because he created the nature. He created you. He created me. And listen, there's going to be times where doors open and you didn't think it was possible. There's going to be times where God puts somebody in your life and your paths cross and you're going to be like, that? No way. Only God. Not a coincidence. Only God. So why are the miracles so important? Look at verse 11 of this story. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. Look at this. And his disciples, what? Believed. Believed. Just like you and I need to believe. The amazing thing is that this first miracle foreshadowed the, the, um, the end of his life and the greatest miracle. Right before his crucifixion at the Last Supper, Jesus took a cup of wine. Interesting, huh? And he gave thanks to God for it, and he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And then he says, Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you. The one who turned water into wine turned an ordinary cup of wine into a beautiful picture of bottomless grace. Let me ask you, what is he capable of doing? Where do you need his help? Have you talked to him about it? Just believe. Leave it in his hands. Listen, what do you got to lose anyway? If we can get divine help, we'll take it, won't we? 
And the greatest miracle of all is that his body was broken and his blood was shed. Would you bow your heads for just a second? Perhaps there's someone here today that after hearing this message and thinking about the things that we've talked about, this incredible story, you realize that you need to have this miracle worker in your life. And perhaps today you've never made a decision to step across the line of faith and ask him to be your Lord and your Savior. You know, I have to believe that's why you're here today. And if you have made that decision to accept Christ, will you just pray right now for those that are around you? Pray for those that are here today. If you haven't made that decision and you want to, man, I would love to pray with you today. If that's you, everybody's heads bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to look over here to my left, your right first. If you'd say, Doug, I want to pray today. Will you, will you lead me in that prayer? Will you just shoot your hand up real quick so I can see you? How about over here in the middle? Anyone here in the middle? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand back down. Anyone else in the middle here? How about over here on my right? Okay, put your hand down. Thanks. Just pray with me. Father, I thank you for the miracles that you do. I don't fully understand it. Truthfully, I don't think any of us do. But I know I need you in my life. And I thank you today that I have heard what you have, what you have challenged me personally with today. I need a go-to guy. And so today I ask you to forgive me because I've fallen short of your perfect standard. I need your help. I thank you that you died on the cross, that your body was broken and your blood was shed. And today I realize that was for me. And I thank you that you didn't just stay there, but the greatest miracle of all is that you came back up out of that grave and you're at work today. I invite you to come into my life and to be the Lord of my life. I ask you to help me to understand what it means to go to you first and to trust in you. Lord, for the rest of us that are here, lots of needs that are represented. There's miracles that we need your help with. But Lord, sometimes we doubt. So I pray today that through this message and our new perspective, Lord, our faith would soar that we would believe in you as our incredible God to supernaturally step in. We love you. Will you take the bread? And the cup.